Hello there, I'm Justin, and welcome back to the pickup line. It's been a little while, things have gotten a little crazy around here, but I'm back, and the pickup line is back on schedule, and I thought it would be a fun idea for the next few episodes to do a special run um, because of a big event, a big day coming up in, a, in, a, in just a couple of days, May the 4th. Uh, of course, Star Wars Day is rapidly appro- approaching. Um, it's almost upon us, and I thought it would be a fun thing to do for today's episode, tomorrow, and then culminating on actually on Monday, May the 4th, to talk about uh, my favorite films by trilogy. So I thought we would each day tackle a different trilogy of films. There's three of them, three trilogies. And talk about, kind of sort of rank my favorite movies from each of those trilogies. So it should be a fun time. Uh, I'm a huge Star Wars guy, so I love Star Wars. And I always I always look forward to this time of year. Um, and of course, the big announcement, it's not that big, but an, an announcement is that Rise of Skywalker will be released on May the 4th on Disney+. Plus, Hopefully in 4K. And we can all watch that on Monday when, when you know, May the 4th ar- arrives. So thanks so much for tuning in today. It should be a fun one. Let's get into it. <laughs> What, you think you're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around like that? I'm a Tridarian. My tricks don't work on me. Only money. No money, no parts, no deal. And no one else has a T-14 hyperdrive, I promise you that. Ah, the Star Wars prequel trilogies. Um, So many people have so many opinions about these movies, and I want to talk a little bit about my opinions about them, um, and some of my personal experiences with them, and some of the reasons why I actually kind of love some of these films. Um, Star Wars has always been a really important part of my life. I'm about 38 years old, and so... um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch Star Wars when they were, you know, in in the in the cinema. Uh, I came to them later when I was in uh, eighth grade, I think, around the time, you know, just kind of getting into high school. I had a friend who who introduced me to the films, and we spent an entire glorious summer watching Star Wars on VHS tape and building um, all of the Star Wars uh, model kits from Walmart. Um, it was amazing. So I really enjoyed that. That, and of course, that was the original trilogy that I was watching then. But the prequels have a very special place in my heart because, like so many people, there was such a huge gap between the original film's release and and these these new movies that came out in in the '90s. And of course, that that gap was shorter for me, having seen them later on VHS. But 
these movies were really important because um, of the sort of nostalgic and sentimental reasons that I have for them, especially the first one with my brother and I, uh, who kind of got into these movies really, really together a lot, and we spent we spent another summer together um, getting ready for Phantom Menace and, and enjoying it and, and doing all kinds of Star Wars-related stuff. And so that film is the, the top one on my list, which is probably a shocking choice. Um, but if we're talking about the prequel trilogy of films, we're talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, and Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Um, and if I had to pick my favorite, uh, so my 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 list here is going to begin with The Phantom Menace. Um, I think this movie is fun, lighthearted. Um, I think it was the perfect film that needed to be made to bring people back into Star Wars. Um, I know that a lot of people really dislike this film. Um, I, I do not dislike this film. I think this film is good. Um, I think Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi were the central important characters in this movie, and I think they carried the film in a lot of ways. Um, but that relationship, seeing Obi-Wan kind of uh, learning and sort of the young, the young Obi-Wan story, I think was the, the, the more interesting story here than the Darth Vader story, but it was important to have them both. Um, I realize this film also ushered in the hatred of midichlorians, of Jar Jar Binks, of so many of these tropes that have become mockeries in the Star Wars universe. And, and you know, do I agree with the decision to scienceify the Force? No, I guess. But you needed to do something. You needed to have another layer to that. If you just went in there and it was just the same old Force... Um, it would have just been a rehashing, a rehashing of, of, of what George Lucas already did in the 70s. And so he was trying some new things. And I have to applaud him for that. And that brings me to my next point and the reason why I love this film a lot. Um, and perhaps why, and we'll get to this on another day, but why the, the, the sequel trilogies didn't quite do it for me. This movie tried to do something completely new and different. Um, it tried to push the envelope of technology and what was available at the time. If you think back to when this movie released in the mid-90s, um, we didn't have CGI and, and the level of technological computer-animated graphics that we have today. And so in the 70s, George Lucas pioneered an entire new era of how to do special effects in movies. He made that stuff up, him and his team and his friends. They did all that themselves. They figured it out. They came up with new ways to make things look cool. He attempted to do that here in this movie. Um, never before had we had we had a movie shot so exclusively with green screen and animated backgrounds, and so much of the film shot on a stage. And that was that was new. And, and there's been a sort of a reaction to that. You know, people don't quite want that as much anymore. They want the more authentic live sets and stuff. But like at the time, that was a big deal. There wasn't anything like that up until this point. Like that was a, that was a newer kind of thing. And to do that movie to have so much. CGI in that film was was a new thing so that didn't quite hold up to the test of time I guess you could say but I think I, I have to applaud George Lucas for attempting to do that back then um, it was pretty amazing um, I, I also I, I love the nostalgia around this film for me um, Taco Bell had this amazing marketing campaign for this movie where you could collect all this stuff and you could kind of do, you know they had all these like little like uh, Star Wars um, little like pop cap things you could kind of collect and carry around with you and it was really an amazing sort of like a summer of eating Taco Bell and watching Star Wars with my brother and collecting all these little collectible pop cap things I can't really I don't know what they were called but it was an amazing time and um I always associate this movie with that time in my life and it was awesome um we collected all the toys I remember my brother had an extensive uh Phantom Menace toy collection so there's a lot of like history and memory around this movie and that's why I put it at the top of my list 
In addition to that, as I said before, the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon uh, storyline in this film is really great. And add into the mix uh, Darth Maul, one of the greatest villains in the, in, the, in the universe. I think he was a great presence in this film. He was menacing and scary and mysterious and unknown. And that final battle with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul is one of the best fight scenes in all of Star Wars. Um, so I love that. I love that film. I love that scene. Um, I, I, the pod racing stuff I thought was cool in this movie, too. Um, I always liked that that was kind of a throwback to George Lucas's, like... Um, American graffiti days when he was making like car movies um, and so he had this really cool like sci-fi car race chase scene and like building the, the hot rods so you could win and all that I thought that was cool um, it was kind of that idea in the Star Wars universe and that pod racing scene still is amazing today the sound design on that thing um, the the action sequences during that pod racing sequence are, are amazing um, my one complaint with that is the guy from whose lines in any way is the voice of the announcer and I, that always that always took me out of the universe a little bit like I feel like there was a little bit too much of that going on in these movies the excitement was so huge that people wanted to be a part of it and so I, I know there's a lot of these interesting and weird little cameos but like um, that was one minor complaint um, the original version of this film had a, a, a puppet version of Yoda, which they removed and added a CG version of Yoda later. Um, I kind of missed the original Yoda puppet. Uh, and it had the introduction of, of Padme Amidala and Anakin Skywalker, obviously. Um, and I thought Natalie Portman, she's one of my favorite actresses, and she was amazing in this film. Um, Hayden, uh, Hayden Christensen, no, sorry, not Hayden Christensen, he plays uh, Anakin later. Um, Jake Lloyd... Um, you know, he has a sort of a tragic story, unfortunately, in real life after this movie. But, like, um, I thought he was a perfect fit as this, you know, he was this, like, very innocent, cherub-like kind of kid. And it was it was a good place to start to see someone who, who was that good be so corrupted later on. Um, so I love this movie. I, I think it's great. Jar Jar Binks, yeah, whatever. You know, like, you know, you... you take him or leave him he's annoying i don't like him he's not my fit nobody likes jar jar binks right but like he's in there he's just something you have to kind of deal with um the gungans thing was kind of weird uh not my favorite stuff but you know i'll take it as a, as a backdrop for the rest of what happens in this movie so i i think this was a, a cool movie to bring people back in to kind of get people back excited again for star wars and um i'm gonna read a little article about that in, in a few minutes so my number one pick in the prequel trilogy just because of pure nostalgia is the phantom menace I have the high ground. You underestimate my power. Don't try it. Next up is the third film, the final film in the prequel trilogy, Revenge of the Sith. Um, I think this is the, actually the strong, like from a purely cinematic point of view, I think this is the strongest of the three films for sure. Um, definitely the, the most interesting. I think the actors really came into their own in these movies. I think the portrayal of, uh, I think Hayden Christensen finally got to have a little bit more freedom with what he could do in this movie. And so the portrayal of Anakin in this film feels a lot more uh, dark and visceral, of course, because he's about to be Darth Vader uh, for me. So I, I really like this movie. The final battle between Obi-Wan and, and Anakin is amazing. Um, um, that whole scene on Mustafar. Um, 
the way that the movie kind of finally ushers us into the age of the rebellion and how the galactic empire is sort of formed and the way that the the evil emperor has been pulling the strings behind the scenes and how all of those kind of things kind of come to fruition is it was fun to watch that play out um my one glaring complaint with this film is is the treatment of of natalie portman's character padme amidala i feel like she was she's the central character in this whole thing like she's the one that essentially uh, causes Anakin's downfall in a way like because she doesn't want him to, to go down this path and she wants him to stay good and she tries to save him and he, he chooses a different way because he's trying to save her I just feel like I would have liked to have seen her fleshed out a little bit more in this movie um, I feel like she got more of the spotlight in Attack of the Clones but uh, in this one she's just sort of like um, in the background a little bit which is unfortunate um, but other than that I think this movie is really good um, the strongest of them all. Uh, there's something in Attack of the Clones that I'm going to talk about later that I think is great, but um, the final battle here between Yoda and the Emperor was really cool. Um, I loved seeing that. Like, you know, seeing Yoda fight the Emperor is a pretty big deal in the Star Wars universe. Um, there were some goofy moments in that battle, like the part, like when the Emperor kind of like falls back over the table clunkily. Like, that just looked weird and odd and, and, and not right. But... Um, it was still a cool scene nonetheless. And, you know, it's really interesting here, and I'll make, I'll make a connection, a comparison. You know, a big cr- complaint of, of the prequel trilogies later on, much later on, was that Luke, uh, when Luke Skywalker d- is defeated, um, sort of when he fails Ben Kenobi, he, he retreats and he goes away and he exiles himself. And Yoda does the same thing in this movie. He, he's defeated by the Emperor. He loses that battle. And he has to go off and he kind of he chooses self-exile. He chooses to uh, exile himself. Um, as opposed to to uh, be killed, I suppose, by the by the the evil empire, um, and so this is a great movie. Um, I thought I thought it was a great ending to the to the to the trilogy. Um, the the darkness in Anakin's soul is so apparent here. The conversion into Darth Vader is kind of a cool moment until the until the screaming of the no, um, which is just another campy, goofy George Lucas thing. But I don't know, like. After seeing the the pre the, the the sequel trilogies, I kind of want the campy, goofy George Lucas stuff back. Like seeing the movies take on such a serious tone in the in the sequel trilogies, I, I kind of miss the George Lucas goofy stuff. I think Star Wars needs that. I think it needs that to be what it is. It's part of its DNA. I think Abrams captured that a little bit in Force Awakens, and I'll talk about that in a, in a later podcast episode. But uh, I think it was lost by the time we got to the Rise of Skywalker. Um. Anyway. <clears throat> So yeah, the the number the second one on my list, even though I think it's a better film than Phantom Menace, um, it's number two on my list, uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And when I got to them, we went into aggressive negotiations. Thank you. Aggressive negotiations? What's that? Uh, well, negotiations with a lightsaber. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> And of course, rounding out this list in what I consider to be the weakest of the sequel uh, movies is Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, uh, there are moments in this film, like when we sort of first get to see uh, the Clone Wars playing out, the the start of that. Um, we sort of learn the truth behind the stormtroopers and how the Empire was able to create this army. Um, so we get some exposition and some backstory here in this movie, but we also get some really bad, stilted, campy dialogue. This awful kind of romantic plotline between Anakin and Padme, um, which was just I don't think handled well. Um, we get this sort of really kind of goofy, like, um, I don't know, uh, build up of, of, of the characters uh, as they 
are secretly trying to like maintain their their anonymity um we do get the speech from emperor palpatine about darth plagueis the wise which is an interesting moment um and has implications for later on in the in the star wars universe uh, for sure um and we started to see anakin questioning his faith and questioning his his chosen path in life and of course we get some we also get some really cool stuff in this movie we get to see mace windu face down the emperor who would have won mace windu would have defeated the emperor in that moment had anakin not stepped in uh we also get to see um the execution of order 66 as the emperor's evil plan comes to fruition um i think that's attack of the clones yeah is that Ranger the Sith? Oh, what's... Well, sorry. It, I, I, sometimes I get that moment mixed up. Um, we also get to see uh, the really cool um, battle between Count Dooku and Yoda at the end. And this is one of the best moments, moments in the whole... In the whole uh, in the whole three films, when when Yoda reveals his true power and he takes on Count Dooku in this amazing flurry of, of lightsaber twirls, you can't even see what's going on. It's, that that scene's amazing. Um, so that was all really cool. Uh, and we get to see Obi Wan kind of doing his thing, going on some missions, chasing down some mysteries and stuff. So that's all really neat too. Uh, so th- there's some good stuff in this movie. Uh, oh, and. Uh, um, the bad guy, uh, Grievous. General Grievous is really cool with the four lightsabers. Um, there's some good stuff in this movie. There's also some really goofy, campy, uh, not-so-good stuff in this movie. Um, like sand. It gets everywhere. Um, but, yeah. So I, I like there are moments in this that I like, and there are moments in it that I can't stand. And I think it's the it's the most unequal of the tr- tr- uh, prequel movies. I think it's the one that, that has the most up and downs. Um, so it comes in at number three on my list here from the, from the prequels. Next, I want to just read a quick article, some things maybe you didn't know about the prequel trilogy. All right, so for the last bit on today's episode, we're turning again to Screen Rant. Uh, They have an article here from uh, January 13th, 2018 by Raf Abreu. Um, And the article is entitled, Star Wars, 15 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know About the Prequels. Um, And the article begins by saying, It's the 1990s, and a new Star Wars film is on the horizon. But hold on, it gets better. The original films are being released, and the new film are being re-released, and the new film will be part of a new trilogy with George Lucas himself at the helm. Taco Bell and Pizza Hut market the new movie like crazy, and the whole world is primed for what is easily the film of the decade, Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. Almost two decades after that first flick, the world has just made a mockery of the Star Wars prequel trilogy from outright hatred to lighthearted jokes the film the films have an extremely negative reputation among plenty of fans though there's also plenty that like the films all the same and with some even preferring the prequels to the originals it would take the new sequel trilogy for the conversion for the conversation to change a bit but even then some things never change amassed on this list are several things you likely don't know with regards to the sequel films some of the entries range from behind the scenes moments to things that happen within the movies themselves either on screen or off. So number 15, people paid full price just to see the Phantom Menace trailer. There was a time when the only way to see a movie trailer was either on home video or on an actual movie theater screen. Even in today's YouTube-friendly world, that doesn't sound too out of the ordinary unless your movie is the most anticipated thing of the year. It's been said and reported that during the first week of its release, the first trailer for The Phantom Menace brought in enough people who gladly paid full price for a movie just to see the trailer, then promptly left afterwards. 
Apparently, up to 75% of moviegoers that week at many theaters across the country paid full price just for the trailer. In the year 1990, 1999, fans could be forgiven for going the extra mile to catch a glimpse of a new Star Wars movie. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, it, having paid, I, I mean, that's not something I would do. Like, if I was really pumped for a movie and the only way to see the trailer was to go watch another movie to watch the trailer before that movie started, I would I would do that. I probably did that. I don't, I don't remember. I probably did that at one point in 1999. I went and saw that trailer just for the trailer. Um, I, I would totally do something like that. So that's awesome. Um, Jake Lloyd quit acting after Phantom Menace. Playing in arguably the most important character in a new trilogy, Jake Lloyd did not have it easy. Before even getting into the post-release, the filmmakers had a young boy playing Anakin Skywalker, and how audiences, especially fans, would react to his performance would greatly affect the film's success. Needless to say, the pressure was on, and it only got worse once the world saw the movie. Lloyd says his childhood was ruined due to people mocking him and his role in the film. A couple years later, he quit acting for good, even dismissing the series outright. However, in recent years, he's come to accept his part in the series and has even gone to conventions and reprise the role of Anakin in other media. That's cool. Um, number 12, and this kind of goes to a point that I mentioned in my little discussion. Insane, unnecessary use of CGI. One of the things the prequels have been lambasted over is their blatant overuse of computer-generated imagery. These complaints aren't without merit, as substantial parts of the film are comprised entirely of green screen sets and or CGI characters. What may come as a real shocker is that even simple scenes of people talking contained CGI trickery. A scene containing Padme and Anakin, for example, can feature different takes from the actors being morphed and spliced into the one scene seamlessly. This also goes for background effects and anything else that might look funny when multiple images are layered on top of one another. It's either an accomplishment by the filmmakers and visual effects artists or yet another negative thing to hang on this film for its over-reliance on computer wizardry or both. See, I disagree. Uh, yeah, there are some weird campy moments with the CGI, but I think George Lucas was trying to push the envelope the same way he did in the 70s with the original Star Wars movie. And so I, even though there, it didn't quite reach the mark, I got to applaud him for trying. Um... There's one here about how the actor Ahmad Best, who played Jar Jar Binks, got burned by tea, but that's not that interesting. Um, Phantom Menace was the first Star Wars movie that didn't win an Oscar. Um, so no no Oscar noms for Phantom Menace. Um, but its competitor was The Matrix that year, so uh, that's a big deal. Shmi Skywalker was kidnapped on Darth Sidious's orders. Right, let's read this one. There are plenty of moments in Anakin's life that could be said to have contributed to his eventual change from Jedi to Sith. While helping Palpatine kill some Jedi definitely solidified it, there's a key moment in Attack of the Clones that also showed just how emotional-driven Anakin is, and that's when he learned his mom had been kidnapped and killed by Tusken Raiders. Anakin's slaughtering of the Raiders is a pretty big deal, and it only inches him closer to that ever-sinister and scary dark side. What's even scarier is that the kidnapping and killing of Anakin's mother may have been set up by one Count Dooku on the orders of one Darth. Sidious. That would mean Palpatine orchestrated Anakin's mother's death as a way to instill that growing anger and emotional fragility in him. Well, that's an interesting theory, future boy, but there's no uh, evidence for that in this article, so uh, we need to have... Why do we think that? We just think that? Okay, interesting idea. Some theory casting, but... Eh. Uh, Ewan McGregor used a hairpiece and a prosthetic beard in Attack of the Clones. It can be quite problematic when an actor finishes production on a film, begins work on another, then has to go back working on the previous film post-production. While reshoots and, and pickup shoots aren't anything out of the ordinary, what can make them problematic is when one of the lead actors has changed their appearance since regular production first wrapped. Well, nowadays we just have we can just CGI out mustaches, or can we? Something like something that likely went unnoticed by many were slight changes to Obi Wan's hair and beard. Um, 
it only appears in certain scenes, but uh, it blends well enough with Ewan McGregor's natural hair, so that's interesting to know. Anakin and Padme scenes ad-libbed in Attack of the Clones. Um, among the many things that people knock the prequels on is its dialogue, which ranges from cringe-inducing to downright meme-worthy, so it may be surprising to hear there at least exists one section in the film where Mr. George Lucas himself asks the actors to ad-lib their lines rather than go with what was in the script. This scene isn't very long in the final cut, but it's nice all the same. It's what's known as the aggressive negotiations conversation, which takes place during Anakin and Padme's dinner, uh, where he does the forced cutting of the pair. Here Anakin explains what aggressive negotiations are, and the two laugh at the response. It even gets a callback later in the film during the battle on Genosis. Um, so that's interesting. That scene was ad lib. Every single clone trooper is CGI. Would it surprise you to know anyone? Would it surprise anyone to know that Attack of the Clones has scenes comprised entirely of CGI? Of course not. The prequels gave George Lucas free reign to use the current technology as expertly and as recklessly as he wanted. While this did often result in human beings walking through what we are what are clearly non-existent sets, it could also be used effectively, such as when an army of robots was needed or a space battle was being depicted. General Grievous and his backstory changes. Unless you watched the limited Clone Wars cartoon or did some research, you likely entered Revenge of the Sith never having heard of General Grievous. Oh, so, okay, so excuse my, excuse my, my faults earlier. I, I mixed, I messed it all up. Revenge of the Sith is when we have Grievous in Order 66. And that's all our Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Attack of the Clones is all the stuff on Genosis and the clone facility. So excuse me, corrections, uh, my bad. Um... In the aforementioned cartoon, he gets his lungs messed up when Mace Windu uses a force grip on him. This then explains his exposed gut sack in the film, along with his coughing. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Changes to Anakin's character during post-production of Revenge of the Sith. Episode 3 is the film where Anakin finally lets his hair down, sports a scowl, and becomes a Darth Vader. His motivations are various, but his primary reason has to do with wanting to save his love, Padme. He fears she will die, and he wants to do all that he can to keep her safe. Of course, we all know how that turns out. During post-production, Lucas kept rewriting the character and further focusing in on his motivations, but by this point, filming had been done. So, through the magic of editing, as well as pickup shots, Lucas was able to make Anakin's primary motivation be Padme, instead of a variety of things with equal concern. Just another reminder of how much a movie can be altered in the editing room. Revenge of the Sith didn't even get an Oscar nom for VFX. Whereas Phantom Menace didn't win an Academy Award, Revenge of the Sith almost didn't get nominated for any. Being the best reviewed and arguably most popular and well-liked among the prequels, it's a bit of a surprise how little awards recognition Episode 3 received from the Academy. Attack of the Clones is the first major motion picture ever shot and distributed on digital video. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that. In the second uh, in the second decade of the 21st century, the idea of a movie being shot and released on digital video is not a big deal. But by the mid-2010s, virtually all movie theaters exclusively started projecting movies digitally, aside from a few specialty theaters and events. Attack of the Clones was the first major motion picture shot entirely on digital video with a 24-frame HD progressive scan camera developed by Sony and Panavision. While not every venue was able to show it digitally, there were a few, and it stands as one of the very first digitally made and projected movies. That's cool. Steven Spielberg helped design sequences during EP3's pre-production, episode 3's pre-production. Uh, George Lucas wore a lot of hats during the making of the prequels. He was director, writer, producer, financier. He was the primary driving force and the reason these prequel films exist. Even so, even he couldn't do it all, and apparently he got a little help from his friends. Spe specifically, he got help from the one and only Steven Spielberg. Spielberg wanted the chance to test out ILM's new pre-visualization pre techniques, which he wanted to use for his upcoming War of the Worlds remake, and Lucas allowed him to do so by helping with designs for episode 3. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of information from Screen Rant about the prequel trilogies. Um, My Order, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, 
all in all, I enjoy these movies. They're fun. I like to watch them over and over again. Are they my favorite of the Star Wars movies? Absolutely not. And on tomorrow's episode, we're going to get into the original trilogy. We're going chronologically here. So we're going to talk about episodes four, five, and six on the pickup line tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. What are your favorites from the prequel trilogy? Do you love sand? Do you hope that it gets everywhere? What do you think about midi-chlorians? All these questions and more can be answered if you want to have a call into the podcast. Let me know. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. And I will see you next time on the pickup line.